2: From Hollywood, California, the whore capital of the world. The Boulay Brothers, creatures of the night. <sighs>
0: Welcome, misfits, mutants, and miscreants, to a brand new episode of the Boulet Brothers' Creatures of the Night. I'm joined, as always, by my sister-in-crime, Swan Thula, who has been very busy preparing for our World Domination Tour. Swan, we will be leaving tomorrow, so how are the preparations looking? (laughs) Oh, I don't know whether to laugh. Or to cry. Or probably a little bit of both.
2: (laughs) It's such an undertaking. I mean, going on the tour is a dragon in itself to be slain. And a fun one. And a glamorous one. And a dark one. And a twisted one. But the first dragon that always has to be slain when you do something like this is the preparation and packing. And packing a drag tour for one performer is a feat in itself. But packing for two... That's a magic trick. But, and how about seven? <laughs> well, I'm not packing for the other ones, yeah. but for the two of us. And well, you know,
0: not their costumes, maybe. But Well, the
2: tracks and all the ambiance and bells and whistles and the interactive games and all the things that we bring to the dark experience that is the live Dracula tour show. I don't know. It's probably like four parts perfectly
0: organized and controlled and probably 14 parts mass chaos. All right. <laughs> I'm going to guess that you are probably a lot more together than most drag tour managers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I do take it seriously and try to separate
2: all of the things that we need to make the magic happen, but I'm excited to be at the stage that we're at now and
0: I am ready to skip the pond. Me too. I think it's exciting and the show's going to be great. We now know what everyone's doing. We've worked on it. It's going
2: to be good. <laughs> it sure is. And for anyone out there, I know that a lot of the dates are sold out as far as like the meet and greets and stuff, but there are some tickets available. So if you're interested in coming to see us and the rest of the drag monsters from the Boulay Brothers Dragula season four, you can get those remaining tickets at
0: DragulaLive.com. And I'm just going to keep pushing it. I'm going to put a commercial on the podcast that I'm going to talk about. I am. You, should. you know what? Because I'm going to celebrate the fact that we're here and that we're doing this tour and that people seem to be receptive. They're excited to come. I'm going to celebrate it. It's no small fee. I say congratulations to you. Congratulations and to you, Thank too. you, darling. Ian,
2: congratulations to you, but don't answer because you're not <laughs> supposed to be here yet. <laughs> no, seriously, for many of you that know the path that we've taken to get where we are, we've blazed a trail where everyone told us that we couldn't and shouldn't, but bitch, here we are, and now we are poised to take over the world, a genuine world tour, because I don't know that it'll be announced yet, but the Australian leg is soon to be announced and that will be added. Well, I guess the, you just announced yes, it. Yes, I did, bitch. <laughs> we are going to the UK, 12 cities, 25 cities in the US and Australia and New Zealand will be announced very
0: shortly. I am proud of it. And you know, I read something recently where someone was saying, you should take time to celebrate your achievements. A lot of times nowadays, you see so many people on social media talking about pushing their products or talking about their successes and everything. And it sort of seems like it feels a little gross. You know, you know you're like, that? I don't want it, like but you know.
2: And all that. If
0: you don't celebrate yourself, nobody else is going to. So get into it. Fuck off if you don't like it. <laughs> and here's our tour.
2: No, it's true. <laughs> it's true. We always come at it kind of like hard and humble, right? Like we come from that school. It's like work hard, claw your way to the top, and then everyone will respect you for what you've achieved. But that's not necessarily true. No. We do not. work hard and we plot our way to the top. But. It doesn't mean people are going to be happy for you while you're there. So, bitch, let's be happy for ourselves. Yes. And that's all, period. <laughs> three,
0: bitches. <laughs> three bitches and a fuck you in the yeah, first bitches. You right? know what? This intro deserves three bitches and a fuck you. Now the potion <laughs> is complete. So we're not only working on the tour, we're also working on a bunch of projects in the background, including getting ready to release the first few seasons of the Blade Brothers' Dragula on Shudder, which people keep asking us about. They're so excited to see it, which I'm excited to know that they're still that interested in watching it.
2: Yeah, people are super excited. If I was more sensitive to other people's feelings, I would feel bad because they've been waiting so long, but I don't. And I think they'll be (laughs) happy. feel words (laughs) for
0: us.
2: (laughs) Do we need another moment? You know what? Cue the littlest violin. Let's feel bad for ourselves.
0: I'm so sorry. Me too. And moving on, we are reviewing... The Batman movie that just came out. Are you excited about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag before Ian gets here, but I loved the movie and I can't wait to talk about it. There's so many iterations of Batman now, right? There was like a movie, I think, that came out in 1966 that was based off of the TV show and it was very campy and colorful. Shark repellent. That's all I I think of, like the bat shark repellent. And then there was Tim Burton's
2: three movies, right? Okay, Tim Burton's three movies, but the third one having never been made because he was supposed to come on and do a trilogy. There was Batman, then there was Batman Returns, which even still to this day, kind of is like my favorite Batman. We had a love for that. We even yeah. met up with Alaska right around the pandemic or something. We went, it was playing at the Vista Theater and it was
0: awesome. I didn't realize until rewatching it then how drag queen-y it is, right? <laughs> <don't> like <laughs> the Penguin is a total drag queen. Total costume with snappy one-liners, and I'm like, okay, you're in the boudoir ready to fight. So good. Same thing with Catwoman, right? Sassy one-liners, all latex, full drag makeup. Full drag. Yeah.
2: And giving inspiration (laughs) to queens for years. I mean, look at what Betty did in season four. She used the ice princess as her inspiration Mm -hmm. for our Last Supper. It's just so good. Then came time for Tim Burton's third movie, which was supposed to be called Batman Continues, which I read all this weird, interesting backstory about where it was a true sequel to Batman Returns where Michelle Pfeiffer was coming back as we saw at the end of the movie her silhouette kind of appeared and you were like oh I'm going to get more Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman and how delicious is that also like Marlon Wayans was cast as Robin and he went as far as trying costumes and projected ideas for the script but because the script called for so many new characters Tim Burton decided to put a pin in the Robin aspect of the story and then it all fell to hell and Joel Schumacher took over we didn't get any of that and we got Batman Forever,
0: with Val Kilmer as his only time of donning the cow and being the Bat. Well, interestingly enough, Batman Returns apparently was not a flop, but wasn't well received. Did you know that? I've read both. I've heard that like, people were upset about
2: it. It leaned too hard into like a Tim Burton kind of way, and people were unhappy, and it didn't get good reviews. But then I heard other people that were like, oh my god, what an amazing vision for batman
0: well the studio wasn't happy with it right it didn't yeah. make as much money as they wanted it to and to me i always assumed that was like the highlight right because the yeah. one after that was terrible several baddies in a row yeah I think. anyways i thought that was interesting maybe that's why joel schumacher took over mm, i think so but you, tim burton was still the executive producer of the movie he just didn't direct it and i think that was obvious
2: because batman forever was forgettable and i think so was the next one which was like batman and robin i mean it's hard to forget because yeah. not, she's not good And Batgirl was awful. So much potential just wasted. (laughs) (laughs) And then as far as the Batman history goes, we get into the Dark Knight trilogy, which really turns us and leans us heavily into drama and grit and seriousness
0: and more, I think, rooted in the real world, right? Yeah, and then suddenly Ben Affleck is there for no apparent reason. Yeah. Right? Maybe one of the most terrible Batman... (laughs) actors to exist would you say i don't know i mean i think she has her moments and some people would agree or disagree what actor do you think is like
2: batman to you okay when they cast michael keaton as batman i was gooped i'm like how are we doing this like are we really about to do this because i was just thinking like he's coming from the comedy world like a hundred percent yeah but he really lent himself to bruce wayne i thought he did a great job but I also like Christian Bale, right? Because he really had that playboy aspect sort of down pat. He was pretty. He was refined. He had no care in the world. But his character was the exact opposite. He was like this gritty, moody, kind of like emo type of <laughs>
0: vigilante. Do you like an average-sized Batman, a skinny Batman, or a chunky Batman? <laughs> That's what you got to (laughs) pick.
2: I'll say an average size Batman.
0: Okay. So Michael Keaton is it for you. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Okay. What about you? I'm going to be cool and pick the emo baby Batman that we just got Really? Why not? Sure. I'm different. He was
2: good. We'll get
0: to it. All right. We
2: will. But we can't get there before we introduce our co-pilot in this Batmobile to the new Batman. Let's welcome Ian to the show.
1: Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'm late. I got stuck in the Bat Cave. All the lights were off. I couldn't see anything. Jesus Christ, I just got here in time. It's Batboy! She was bat sniffing Ben Affleck's Bat uh. underwear. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh. Listen, ladies, I know I'm not supposed to be in the studio, but much like Batman in the new one, I'm lurking in the shadows waiting for my time to strike, and I will just say on record ooh, girl, thick and juicy Batman. Ooh, girl. When they brought Ben Affleck back to do the reshoots for Justice League, I was like, oh, that does not fit, and I am so here for it. Ian's like,
2: Ben wasn't ready for the reshoot. He's been sitting around Ian Donald. Oh,
1: hell yeah. Oh my God. I know that I'm messed up because when I was watching the Snyder cut of Justice League, the way that Ben Affleck's face gets smooshed forward by the cowl, I was like, oh yes God. Oh,
0: <laughs> I don't remember that. I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch. That's because
1: you're not looking
0: for it. I'm but this not. is like checking Ian's true. boxes over here. Much like yeah. Bradley
1: Cooper's, you know, moment <laughs> in the last episode. So that's your Batman. That's the one you like. I would say visually, that's the one I like. However, I'm going to side with you on this one, Drac. My favorite Batman to date is our brand new young emo Batman, Robert Pattinson. Yeah, Let's see, he was That teen. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Bat, it's not a phase mom, teen. Well, sorry, it's not a phase, Alfred.
0: I do also love Adam West, I have to say. Even oh, though it's okay. completely well, different. Yeah, I mean, it's completely different, but he was in a Batman movie, the first Batman movie, Absolutely. so he
2: counts. Serving Batusi like
0: nobody's business.
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, with the Adam West Batman in mind, one of my favorite iterations of Catwoman, even though I did love Zoe Kravitz, is Eartha which She's so just iconically herself in the same way that I think Michelle Pfeiffer really made Catwoman her own I think that Eartha Kitt really laid the groundwork for like oh, little Batman <laughs> Absolutely, and Julie
0: Newmar too it's weird because they were both Catwoman
1: in the mm-hmm. same series but they both had
0: such a strong character and were likable and just great at the role okay yes The Batman
2: is on the menu to be discussed between the three of us, but there's something that comes before the appetizer conversation is going to be Yellow Jackets. Ooh, an aperitif. Let's talk about it. Because Ian, now I secretly knew if I threw this out there, (laughs) she would take
1: it as a challenge and make sure that you watch the series. And you did. And I did. Creatures of the Night listeners, I am happy to report I did not take until September of this year to watch it. I watched Yellow Jackets and girl... I'm obsessed. All
0: right. So we're going to talk about it real quick because we all have held off from discussing it until Ian got here today. So
1: what did you think? Overall, I loved it in a way that I wasn't expecting. Even after you both talked about it and spoke so highly of it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to go in fresh, see what this is all about. And by, I think, episode three... I was like an unstoppable freight train. Every night, I was like, we have to watch another one. I can't stop. It's so good. And it's a blend of genres and references that, on paper, I don't think really mix well. But then when you watch the show, it is such a potent and deadly blend. And it's just so fun. I loved it. What did you think of The Bear? Ah, yes. (laughs) So I'm going to have to agree with both of you on this one. I am choosing to firmly believe that the bear is another instance of the supernatural or just some sort of forces beyond our control exerting its pressure onto the girls and also Lottie. That being said, it was a lot of bad CG. And yeah. I was like, oh, no, no. And it just, it laid down for her and it was, I could just see the fur bristling and I was like, oh, <laughs> no, this isn't as good as the wolves. Yeah.
0: I, I love when they want to make the fur look realistic so they make it move too
1: much even
0: and you're oh, like, wait,
1: what? Girl, they give her that like early 2000s Final Fantasy CG hair treatment. Totally. Oh, wow. am <laughs> <Whoa.
0: laughs> Not the
2: Sephiroth treatment. Oh, yes,
1: mama. So,
0: Everyone feels like definitely supernatural things
2: are afoot. I think we have like a bona fide cult here and like whether supernatural forces are actually afoot or not almost doesn't matter. It's kind of like voodoo. It's the power of the belief in it. And I think when you're out there in the woods, you have no touchstone to the reality that you once knew. All of those things become instantly more plausible. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like when you're out camping or you're home alone at night, the walls of reality and the rules of our world can kind of just crumble into the shadows and then all of a sudden anything can happen
1: absolutely i love the usage of call it the supernatural call it energies call it religion call it whatever you want i love that it exerts its pressure onto the girls and onto what's happening i thought it was fabulous and i thought if they were going to bring it to like oh it's magic i'd be like Eh, wrong or it ghosts or it demons i was like none of that really appeals to me but the way that they end up tying it all together i feel like really lends fresh air to the show i choose to kind of think of it like
0: you know in high school or whatever and you would drink and party and do whatever and things happen right but then like you know after the weekend you're like did Did that that really happen happen?" yeah yeah. i almost (laughs) choose to think of it like that how much of it is actually happening versus it's in
1: their head, maybe a little bit. Yeah. I think that you are totally correct with one character specifically, which would be Thaisa, who I am obsessed. I think that young Thaisa is an incredible actress. I think older Thaisa is fucking great too. And I feel like she is the one character who throughout the entire show is like, this isn't real. What you are experiencing is trauma. She's always grounded in reality and chooses to view the things that happen as it's coincidence or yeah, that was weird, but it's not supernatural.
2: Until she's eating dirt and ripping her own dog's head Mama, off. Mama, <laughs> until there is
1: a shrine in her basement with blood and guts. I was like, Mental yes. illness, not
0: magic. I like trauma, though.
2: <laughs> I think the line between mental illness and magic can be very thin. When you're the oh. one experiencing it. <laughs> totally.
0: Forecasting it. <laughs> uh, when you're experience. on the other side, you're like, you got problems.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. And I think that that's kind of one of the real strong touchstones of the show, too, is that question of, is what we're experiencing influenced by outside forces? Mm-hmm. Or do you choose to just believe the reality that you know the rules of and say, no, this is not real. I know what my reality is, but do you, after spending 19 months in the woods and eating one of your friends, what is your reality actually like?
0: Well, that's the thing, right? If we're experiencing one of their memories, then you could do whatever you want with the Mm. story sort of, right? Like if you find out that this is one of their memories that we're watching, which Mm -hmm. it could be, and they're the narrator, then it's just based off of what they remember. Or alternatively, and I think this would be really interesting.
1: Uh If they switched
0: the story and started to tell it from someone else's perspective, like That's
1: not how I remembered it happening Mm. kind of thing. It would be interesting to experience one event on the show like that, which would be when the plane blows up. Because, girl, Drac and Swan and I were at dinner the other night talking to some friends who had also seen it. And Drac reveals that... I believe that Lee is alive because (laughs) she looked over... And saw the bear
0: on fire. It didn't just explode. sure. So I'm sure she was like, well, it's on fire and I'm flying over the water. I guess I'll jump out so I don't burn up. I would love to imagine her to
2: being alive. And this is one of the things that I love about you, Drac, too, because you retrained me to think that so much is possible. Even though we saw the plane and there might have been 10 of them on the shore watching. And would they have seen her jump? Maybe yes, maybe no. So that Mm -hmm. could be a surprise that comes next season or
0: even you know, two I wouldn't have from seen now. it. I can tell you that for sure. And <laughs> Ian wouldn't have seen it because he wouldn't have his contacts with him, so he wouldn't see shit. Oh, I oh see my it. God. Girl,
1: okay. If the plane went down and I had one pair of contacts on my glasses, I'd be like, just uh, eat me. It's good. <laughs> I'm the girl in the pit. It's all good. We would
0: protect you and feed you like our little pet. As long worry. as you had a use and you proved it over and over you again. You could sit there and carve uh, weapons and clothes for everybody.
1: I genuinely <laughs> think that if the plane went down, when we all do our version of Yellow Jackets and and I think we would all get superpowers at that point. We'll be on the powers that That's when we get our have. powers for sure. Oh, I would 100% be like, just further blind me and I'll become the Oracle. Like, <laughs> I'll be the know. Miss
0: Prophetess 2022, if, honey. If I found that house with all those tools in it, I'd be like, I like this. <laughs> i like, this is easier than real life. I'm destroying the black box. <laughs> like, you all could leave because I'm not going anywhere. I got my friends here. I got tools. There's wildlife. I'm like, I am You're good, like, this is lakefront
2: property. <laughs> oh, I know. Maybe we can't girl. get a phone
0: signal. Yes. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so are you happy that Jackie died? You oh, are, right? Oh, I am so, you are. so happy.
1: Really? I will say Jackie's death is really sad, yeah, and it is shocking in a way that I didn't anticipate, because I thought the whole time, Jackie is going to die. Is she the girl in the pit, or does she die later? Because everyone talks about her in a post sort of sense. Mm-hmm. But the way that she passes away, I was like, oh, I don't feel good about that. I no. don't. And it's, they play it for just misery, and it's so good. That does not prevent me from saying, I hate Jackie. Jackie is my least favorite I character. I want to reveal that
2: the character that Drac was so <gasps> upset about in the last episode because
0: That's they were her I favorite was Jack. It is. Oh, I swear.
1: Oh my God. I, have, <laughs> I am literally gooped. Yes. Yeah, I don't bald. know why. It's yeah. the truth. I got to tell you, the whole time I was watching, I was like, who would Drac like? And at first I was like, could I see Drak having a soft spot for Natalie? Maybe. And I was like, oh God, if Natalie dies, I'm going to be pissed. And then when the reporter dies in the finale, I was like, oh, Drak's favorite was the reporter? I oh. did like her. <laughs> Never once crossed my mind that you're over here as a Jackie really? stand. Yeah.
0: Yep, I was. I don't know why, but. Dracky, if you will.
1: Oh! <laughs> Do you like
0: Shauna or not?
1: I love Shauna. However, I recognize that she is also a piece of shit. And she, she is. is. She, which, I live for I think that that's genuinely- <laughs> I
2: live for a piece of shit, but truly so do I That's right. one
1: of the things that I really genuinely love about this show is there is no black and white. Everything is morally gray and all of our protagonists are fucked up people. They've all been traumatized to hell. Shauna is a bad person because of all things she does misty is in a lane of her own. <laughs> I love them all.
0: I guess Misty, she does horrible things, but you can't hate her because she's almost like a caricature or something, right? Like, especially her look and everything. You're like, this is just a she's weird. She's like
2: the best caricature on the yeah. show. Like, it's so fun. And we're watching it. And, <laughs> and I'm like, God, Christina Ricci is so amazing. And Drax, like, what? Oh, yeah. We're like seven episodes in. I'm like, Track, Christina Ricci is Misty. And she's like like wig removed. I've already told you, if you
0: want to (laughs) fool me with a disguise, it would be the easiest thing for you to do. Put on a wig and some glasses. Yeah. I won't know who you are, Clark Kent. Oh, I will totally buy a hook, line and sinker. I have to say one of my favorite aspects of the show is something that we just touched
2: on a few minutes ago, which was being alone, being back to nature and isolation. It strips some people of their powers, like in the real Mm -hmm. world, like Jackie, who was just a popular girl in high school who had the friends and the beauty and the boyfriend But none of that really mattered when they were out there and the rules changed. And we went back to very primal existences, very primal equations as to who was valuable and who wasn't. Who's the boss now? Who's like the boss energy? Who's going to help the group survive? Who's making smart decisions? Who's drugging everybody and sending them on like a bad mojo trip? We're going back to women tearing apart men and this cannibalism and all of these underlying concepts is so cool and so amazing to see introduced into a pack of high school girls because i think like mean girls there's an easy correlation between the animal world and the high school world right totally there's so much to love about yellow
0: jackets if you haven't seen it yet you definitely need to i'd be shocked if anyone listens to this entire conversation i think it's (laughs) time to move on it was great talking to you all about this but i think it's time to move on to our hollywood and horror news
1: As some bedeviled Creatures of the Night listeners may remember, I put my psychic energies forward a few episodes ago and said that we would be letting go of the dismal delays and oppressive gloom of yesteryear's release schedules and only focus on brand new announcements from the worlds of Hollywood and horror. Well, that prediction has come true, at least for this episode, as we start things off with a few announcements that are too good to pass on. First, for any fans of interactive podcasts or augmented reality content, listeners at home can join me in summoning the following spirit say it with me. Beetlejuice 2, Beetlejuice 2, Beetlejuice 2. That's right, after 30 years of residing in the Neither World waiting room, it looks like Tim Burton's beloved horror comedy classic Beetlejuice will finally be getting an official sequel, with The Ankler reporting that Warner Brothers has partnered with actor Brad Pitt's production company Plan B to bring the project to life. So far, details surrounding the project are scarce, with The Ankler reporting that Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder are both in talks to return for the sequel, However, no director or other cast members have been confirmed for the project yet.
2: Well, I couldn't be more thrilled, and I'm just putting this out there in the universe. I volunteer us, the Boulay brothers, as tribute to be stars of Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice 2.
1: Bringing the terror all the way from the underworld and pushing out towards the dark expanse of outer space, The Hollywood Reporter has broken the news that Fede Alvarez, producer of Netflix's latest Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, as well as the director of my favorite requel, 2013's Evil Dead, will be writing and directing a new project in the Alien universe, with series originator Ridley Scott producing. The project has been described as an original, standalone feature, and will be independent of previous films in the franchise, as well as FX's upcoming Alien series set to debut in 2023.
2: Saw it, too. Love it. Anything that Ridley Scott does, I'm there for, whether I understand it or not, and I'm so excited about another Alien movie. I'm just hoping it doesn't follow
1: suit of House of Gucci, the worst (laughs) film of the year. Speaking of the most recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, fans of chainsaw-wielding maniacs wearing the faces of their loved ones as ghoulish masks rejoiced as Netflix released numbers for their most streamed content in February. While most of the programs on the list reside firmly within a broad target demographic, Ms. Leatherface managed to slice her way to the second most watched spot during the film's debut weekend and landed in the third most watched program spot overall in its first week on the streaming service. People hated Chainsaw Massacre.
0: I didn't even want us to review it because basically it got reviewed on Twitter within Uh like an hour. So I was like, I'm not doing it. Because so many people were like, (laughs) are you all going to review Chainsaw Massacre? No, because you already reviewed it 500 times before we could get to it. Yeah, very tepid response. Yeah,
1: I watched it. I didn't hate it, but I definitely don't love it. I think that there are films that are equally amazing and terrible and that blend creates something magical. And this one was equal parts... Uh, not that great and also not the worst movie ever and it was just kind of middle of the road in every way. I knew
0: when I saw Leatherface in the promo sitting in a daisy field I was like I don't need I this. love the
1: memes of that though like they'll like take <laughs> Leatherface in the field just photoshop into other things. I love it. <laughs> Finally I have two bloody morsels to keep you satiated until your next helping of horror d'oeuvres. Our first Devilish Digestive brings to us another polarizing horror film, one that we love here in the studio. I'm talking about James Wan's absolutely bonkers and amazing, Malignant, officially announced as one of the nominees for the Oscars' newest awards category, the Oscars' fan favorite. This award is brand new this year, with the Oscars inviting film fans at home to submit their votes for their favorite film of the year in an attempt to make the Oscars a little more relevant amongst a broader audience. They needed to do that like a decade ago. Oh, I know, girl. It's exciting, though. I did love Malignant. Yeah, there's a couple of other horror and fantasy films on the list. We've got Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, Spider-Man No Way Home, and The Suicide Squad are all amongst the top ten.
2: Wow, it's exciting. Well, Ian, darling, thank you so much for those updates. We are going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll be reviewing director Matt Reeves' The Batman. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. UK fans of the Boulet Brothers Dragula, now is your time. The official Boulet Brothers Dragula world tour kicks off in the UK this March with stops in Edinburgh, Glasgow, Newcastle, Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, London, Nottingham, Leeds, Sheffield, Brighton and Bristol. We'll be bringing our top competitors of the season with us for a show you'll have to see to believe. General admission and and meet-and-greet tickets are on sale now at DragulaLive.com. Join us or die.
0: Welcome back, and welcome to this episode's Creature Feature Movie Review. For this episode's review, we chose to watch and give our thoughts on director Matt Reeves' latest film, The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, and Colin Farrell. We're seeing a sort of reboot of the Batman film franchise here, and in this new movie, we are following along with Batman as he ventures into Gotham City's underworld on the trail of a sadistic killer who is leaving behind a trail of cryptic clues. As the evidence begins to lead closer to home and the scale of the perpetrator's plans become clear, Batman must forge new relationships, unmask the culprit, and bring justice to the abuse of power and corruption that has long plagued the city. So, what did we think?
2: Are we going to have our kitten mittens on for this one and not really do too many spoilers because it's relatively new and it's out in theaters only? Spoil it
1: up. (sighs) Oh, so spoiler warning for listeners at home. If you have not seen The Batman, go see it before you listen to this review. Yes. Yes.
2: As I've let the cat out of the bag earlier, I really loved this iteration of Batman. I mean, she was every minute of three full hours. And I think like many people, because I have read a couple of responses and just, of course, you see some of it on social media people were like, where did those three hours go? I don't know if I feel that fully because I think two hours and 45 minutes in, I'm like, "Mm, I'm ready to stand up and stretch (laughs) a little bit, but it was really entertaining. I thought it was a great representation of Batman and Batman's world that we haven't really seen yet, which is kind of surprising because now this Mm -hmm. is like the millionth Batman movie. I would see it again.
1: I would absolutely see it again right now. If y'all were like, we're going to go watch the Batman, I'd be like, girl, clear my schedule for three more hours. I'm ready to watch it again. I love this Batman. I think it's fantastic. I do think that it has a couple of areas that are maybe a little flawed, but I choose to look at this like the jewel thief Catwoman that I fully believe Selena Kyle will become in this trilogy of Batman films. It's like a diamond in the rough. I Mm. love it. I think it brings some genuine scares. Honestly, it brings Batman to almost kind of a horror space and positions Batman as a monster. I love how emo he is. Like Literally, you're not my dad. (laughs) Oh, I'm here for it. Ooh, I loved it.
0: So what do we think of the overall story? It was three hours. It was Mm -hmm. long. So did you feel like it kept you engaged the whole time? Did you think it was a little far-fetched? What did you think?
2: I think that this Batman was pretty solidly based, and I'm going to use air quotes, in the real world. Mm -hmm. We weren't looking at like a Tim Burns Batman Returns world. We're in more of like a fantasy cartoon world. Like this was very much a gritty city. And- I said this to Drak the night we saw it. I said, oh, one of my favorite characters in the movie didn't get a credit at the end of the film. Oh. And that character is Gotham city itself. Oh. Like I felt like the depiction of Gotham was, ah, oh, it was unbelievable because it literally brought me back to my love of living in like a major metropolis like cool all of a sudden I was a kid again on the streets of New York City crawling around underground nightlife the entire movie was like secrets within a secret within a secret Mm. it was like the iceberg lounge but the 44 below club underneath the club in the city private 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 and I felt like the whole story kind of unfolded like that too where it started out as is it a Catwoman origin story is it Batman's recognizing who and what he is Is it the story of the downfall of Gotham City as a city? Is it about the organized crime? Is it about Riddler? Is it about Penguin? It's kind of about all of these things. And I think that's why it
1: remained entertaining for three full hours. Totally agree. To answer your question, Drac, I think that the narrative itself is kind of genius. I think that we are a little bit trained to see Batman in a classic superhero movie narrative where we meet our villain and then it's Batman's quest to take him down for however long the movie is. This one I feel like is more of a neo-noir detective film. We see a Batman who doesn't have all of the bells and whistles gadgets of Christopher Nolan's Batman, but what he does have is a very clear sense of detective work. He's in every crime scene. He's looking through footage, which I feel like is cool, and it it feels grounded.
0: That's the thing about Batman, right? It's a little more true to the character because Batman starred in detective comics that's mm. where his origin hey, ding, ding. is and it's very like modern day sherlock holmes which you don't see that a lot in the other movies you see him sometimes a little bit but yeah. multi's punching people in the face and setting <laughs> off smoke bombs and she and stuff. did a lot of that in this exactly too. but i think i really like that they did bring that forward and i also liked and this is odd because people think this is maybe one of the darker batmans the end of it had a very light side to it in the sense mm-hmm. that okay Now we're being shown that this is someone who's going to evolve beyond, I'm Batman, I'm the shadows, I'm dark. Now he's like, I'm hope. Here I am with a torch walking the mayor and the future of the city behind me to the future, very much. And oh yeah, I love that. I feel like people forget that in past Batman movies are like, we got to make him dark, we got to make him an edge lord. No mm-hmm. one's gonna like it otherwise. And I'm like, okay, great, but why is he doing? He's this? still a superhero, right? He's a hero. Yeah,
2: exactly. And
0: so
1: I like that they actually reminded you that he was a superhero. That was great. Speaking of tone, I went in with, I think, as you said, like every person or every news outlet that's talked about this, oh, it is the darkest, it's the grittiest, it's going to be very serious, this is a Batman, darker than we've ever seen. So I went in kind of with that expectation. And what I found was I was like giggling the whole time because I feel like in the way that ultra-serious straight guy culture is mega camp, I was like, this movie is so campy sometimes. Like, Batman will just show up just, hi. Oh, my God. Like, okay, stunt queen. Like, it's ridiculous. I was giggling,
2: too. I did a few times. You said something a little bit earlier that kind of triggered a thought for me is that all of the roles of the characters aren't cut and dry. Mm -hmm. This feels like a very rounded world. Sometimes Commissioner Gordon is on Batman's side and almost whispering him to help him get away from the police. Like, sometimes Selena Kyle feels like a good guy in helping her friend, but she's also a criminal and a thief. Mm -hmm. And the same thing for Batman. Is he this dark-sided edgelord, or is he a symbol of hope? And even Falcone, is he telling the truth in that he actually did a solid to Bruce Wayne's father, or is he a manipulator on a level that we're not even really prepared for? It's kind of cool that the heroes and the villains kind of had
1: many faces. Well, you mentioned this with the depiction of Gotham, which I agree with and I kind of want to dig a little further into in that Gotham, for I think the first time in recent Batman iterations, feels very dangerous. This is a city that I don't necessarily look at this as like, oh yeah, like you would just walk down the street. I'm like, fear permeates the streets of the city and Mm. that is kind of where Batman comes in. where Corruption is everywhere. Everyone is morally gray and almost kind of needing a symbol to fight against that.
0: What do we think of Robert Pattinson as Batman? I haven't seen a lot of his
2: stuff. So I wasn't going in with preconceived notions and I was buying it. I think he played it subtly. Yes, it was emo. At times it was maybe slightly edgelord, but then it kind of taught me some lessons because it really wasn't that edgelordy. He was not try hard by any means. It was subtle, it was emo, it was dark. I was buying it. I really liked it.
1: I totally bought it as a young Batman. I loved Robert Pattinson as Batman. I thought that he did a great job. Most recently, I saw him in The Lighthouse, which showed me that he was honestly leaps and bounds better than I thought he was as an actor. And there's one scene that I feel like Robert Pattinson read the script and came to work. Which is The where...
0: mermaid? Oh, that's a different movie. Oh, the, right.
1: <laughs> where he fucks the mermaid and then beats the gull. Ooh. <laughs> the scene where the Riddler is basically just reading Bruce Wayne, house down boots, mama. <laughs> and Robert Pattinson is on the verge of tears. I feel like you can see that it's like his whole world is getting mentally destroyed by this villain who he despises. And then suddenly the Riddler's like, and we almost got him, didn't we? And then he just flips the character like... <gasps> He doesn't know it's me. I'm still Batman. Yeah. I was like, oh, girl.
0: I wasn't expecting to like him because I'm not usually a fan of the younger Mm -hmm. edgy version. But I do feel like he did suffer from the same problem that Yovska and formaldehyde (laughs) suffered from, which was when you do that with your makeup and you're wearing a mask (laughs) and you take it off doesn't look too cool when you're sitting there with crow makeup on i'm like this is the crow playing batman oh, okay
1: 100 the crow but also i live for it because i'm like they never show that like no other batman like takes the cowl off and suddenly she's got fucking mascara running like, down her yeah. face. i'm
2: like girl these are like my most morbid memories from way back in the day when i'm crawling around at like
0: four in the morning oh, totally. <laughs> When i pass the mirror i'm like Oh shit! You're like, am I the Batman? I like when he goes with the backpack and has to put on the suit. So I'm laughing at myself because I'm picturing him with a little makeup mirror, like, oh my (laughs) god, I gotta get this eyeshadow on, God! But the pink (laughs) was
1: getting away. Ah, it won't go on. Okay, totally. My my one big gay thought of the movie is like, I wonder what brand he uses. Do you think he uses a primer? Like, is he set that? Right. Is he like, I like
0: Nyx. This other stuff <laughs> oh, runs yeah. too much. You're like, I got to get waterproof next time. <laughs> I need that sugar pill waterproof
1: blood. <laughs> he's, he's like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. My is in my eye. Hold on. Totally. Hold, <laughs> and then I'm
0: like, okay. You got eyeshadow, but you got to have mascara on too. So I pictured him back there like flicking the mascara <laughs> oh, yeah, her, on his girl, eye.
1: Her waterline is line two. I, I know. was like, oh, Miss Thing.
0: So, okay, let's talk about the villains. And I'm yes. going to start because the villain back there like flicking the mascara <laughs> So, okay, let's talk about the villains. And I'm going to start because the villains are like half the stars of Batman, right? I really want to know your opinion on Catwoman specifically. I am utterly disappointed with the villains in this movie. I figured you might be. I am. I am. And the reason why is because I'm like, okay, let's start with Catwoman. The characterization was great, the acting was great. But I'm like, this is the funny part. I was writing (laughs) notes because we were in a theater that you couldn't talk, but it has a little light between your chair. So I was writing notes to Swan as we're watching it. (laughs) And my note was, is this a catwoman? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like it's not. It's not catwoman. I'm like this Wait, is Wait, a- Jack
2: puts the pen down between us. I don't answer. And then
0: she picks up the pen and writes in her answer herself. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then circled it. Yeah, so I'm like this isn't catwoman. Like you are just a woman in a jumpsuit. Okay, then let's go into the penguin. No costume, Mm -hmm. no nothing. None of you are Mm supervillains. And even the Riddler, I'm like, you're like a character from a true crime documentary on Netflix. You're not a supervillain either. You're just like Jeffrey Dahmer. With Instagram Live. If they want to be more realistic, fine. But she's still in a bat
1: costume with a big bat logo. I wasn't into that. I think that there is a lot of room to grow with the villains. I love the way that they're characterized and I think it just to me speaks to and fits in with the narrative of this is a dark gritty Gotham these are not the Michelle Pfeiffer basically an undead cat woman with like you know mega sewing skills and all these things but I think that I was influenced by something that Matt Reeves, the director, said in an interview, which was, this is an origin story for all of these villains. Selena Kyle is not yet Catwoman, and the Penguin is not yet the Penguin, and Batman is still almost not even really the Batman yet. So I kind of took that, and that was the rock that I lived on. Because I do agree, I do wish that Catwoman would have done some more Catwoman shit, because every time she would like, kick someone or do a whip trick, I was like, oh, yes! And then it would be done. I was like,
2: oh, I wanted more. Yeah, I'm going to say I live between these two worlds, right? Like kind of in the middle because on the one I'm like, well, Batman kind of is Batman. They have the signal. He's got mm-hmm. the relationship with the police department and height, all the gadgets and the costumes. But I was also kind of feeling like I can see Selena Kyle's character, some subtle references, lives. I've got nine of them. She yeah. flips off the building and like the nails. Oh, you got a lot of cats. Ooh, the mm-hmm. cat and the bat. How cute is that? And, you know, Penguin was definitely referenced as Penguin a few times, but I really loved the the way that those characters came off because they, again, underline the idea that this is happening kind of in the real world. This is like a real city. Gotham. feels like a city I've been to maybe on steroids, but I've been there. Particularly there was one scene. It was the club scene. And I've since read that it's actually a club that exists in London called like plastic works or something like that. Girl, we got to go. I need to go there. Yeah. Penguin was walking down the club and it was so loud and so dark and just flashes of light. And I felt like it was a little bit of like almost a representation of the whole city, but anything could have been happening around any quarter. You couldn't hear, you couldn't see. Yet there was secret clubs, sex, drugs, violence, and all of those things were kind of happening around you. Like this was a world where a kingpin could exist undetected mm-hmm. in the heart of the city. And I just thought it was great. I love Selena Kyle too. She was the criminal, Selena Kyle. Not quite the seductress, definitely the cat burglar breaking into the safe, mm-hmm. you know, flip kicking and stealing the bag on her motorcycle and getting away in the rainy night. Very cool.
1: I 100% agree. And I'm going to come right back to Selena Kyle. I do want to say, I love this Riddler. I think he's very scary. And I think, how do you do the Riddler that's not like Jim Carrey, red hair, like, riddle me this, Batman? Like, yeah. like how do you make him scary? And I feel like they pulled that off. You mentioned something though, Swan, about this version of Catwoman, which is like, she's not yet the seductress. I agree, she has room to grow, but girl, there were some moments between Batman and Catwoman, I was like, oh! (laughs) Oh, so it's like that? Oh, it's problematic? Your relationship is toxic? Ooh! (laughs) I'm just like, you're not a Catwoman,
0: and you're not a Penguin. And I'm like, and you can't even grow into it, because I'm like, Penguin, they dumped him down so much to me, I just felt like he was sort of Not great. And they could say, maybe he'll grow into it, but you can't grow smart you either are or you're not and he didn't seem very smart to me he's a bird brain and i think he's got
2: plenty of room to grow and i loved his borderline insanity oh yeah he was giving me guido kingpin mafia oh, i vibes.
0: got you i got yeah. you
2: like it, i'm it, not
0: into that and oh, i think so good. For, he was supposed to be aristocratic i don't know it just to me it's weird and he has no umbrella which i'm not into at all <laughs> i like that they kept calling him ozzy though it just gave me a curveball i wasn't ready for i think that selena kyle was there for me catwoman was just not there for me problems we have with the movie right to me i think and i did love the movie but i feel like the story was a little weird sometimes and of course it's a comic book movie but they're trying to make it realistic so if you're going to take away penguins umbrella why are you making where the riddler's like you're going to bring him into the light and then you'll find me and magically batman happens to just come out of that particular door with the guy and wow i just <laughs> happen to be standing under this light and Wow, right there's his apartment. That, to me, is absurd. And that happened several times with the Riddler's plans. That It turned me off a little bit.
1: I think if you are choosing to look at it from a sense of realism, which I think this is maybe where you're coming from, the way that the Batman and Riddler's cat and rat game kind of goes back and forth is a little Mary Sue. Oh, well, here's this problem. How do we solve it? Oops, right into the Riddler's plan. But I almost chose to suspend my disbelief a little bit and say, oh, It's because the Riddler is always one step ahead.
2: I'm not on this boat at all. I'll suspend my disbelief fully and completely. I'm like, this is someone telling me a story. Did I like the story? I absolutely did. In what ways in my mind can I help them tell it? That's how I kind of approach it. So I agree that I thought the Riddler was scary, where usually he's goofy and Mm -hmm. doofy and not to be taken seriously. He was dead serious in his meticulous note keeping and all of the millions of notebooks and all that like incessant writing in each one and how obsessive must you be like your entire life to the point where it goes back to when you were a child in an orphanage. Mm -hmm. So could someone obsess over something to say, I've actually been right outside of Falcone's hideout the entire time for years. I've been living here and waiting for this moment and kind of working with Batman to groom him, to get him, to just bring him right there. Mm -hmm. So I could just
0: turn my chair and shoot him in the head. Could I believe that? Yes, I do. I could. will literally go on this podcast <laughs> and reveal things about the show. Oh, my
1: God. You're and people don't
0: even, they can't even figure that out. And I'll literally just pretty much say it. <laughs> and no one will figure it out. So I'm like, there is absolutely no way anyone is smart enough to get these clues. Or like when he had to pull up the carpet, he's like, "Yeah, well, here's a carpet remover. Duh, he knew I was going to be, I'm like, just stop right now. Just stop right now. Because no (laughs) one would figure that out. Nobody would figure that out. And he'd be sitting there like, I suck. Like, I made this giant trap and no one figured it out. now nobody knows who I am. They don't know I'm responsible. And I I guess I'll come up with something else. I don't know. Stop it. (laughs) It was a great representation of
2: the Riddler and his riddles. They were genuinely scary. I feel like we veered into the horror lane many times. Yeah,
1: I agree with that. I love the way they handle Batman's combat in this movie because I feel like in the Christopher Nolan ones, almost like the Born Identity style of fighting where it's like everything is so chopped up and all you're seeing are just hard impacts left and right versus in the Batman, the camera pans out, we get a wide shot view, and there are these lingering 10, 20 second shots of Batman grappling and flipping people over and just punching them, which I felt like lent a sense of realism to like, well, how's Batman not just fucking crippling people left Mm -hmm. and right? Well, because he's not beating the shit out of them
2: well he was also taking a lot of hits which i really loved because oh, he got the shit I, I hate out of the him. like the ninja batmans who go to thailand and learn some <laughs> like lost art and now you can't touch him and he's flipping all over the place like you know a parkour master with a million black belts you know he was taking hits in the face and the body gunshots bulletproof
1: armor and stuff like that i thought it was very well done speaking of batman getting beat up and taking shots i have a question for you guys I think that at the end of the movie, when Batman injects himself with this green liquid, I feel like that's a setup for a Bane in the future. Mm. And a Bane oh. that is less grounded in reality than Tom Hardy's Bane. Like, I think this is more along the lines of, like, he's got the tubes running through him, he's super powered or superhuman from these steroids. Because I was like, wait a minute. I know green liquids in a Batman movie. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. I see them. I think you're right. Well, you know what I thought it was yeah. for a
0: second. I thought he was gonna throw it, and it was gonna be acid, like what he hit Catwoman with in Batman oh. Returns. I thought it was oh. gonna be a little a homage. Because remember, he does that. You know, no, of course. Yeah, and I was like, like "There oh, you yeah. are. There
2: you are." She gets yes. him. Yeah. But
0: when you're talking about the combat, I agree with you, except for this part. They still had those dumb sounds that when you punch someone in the face, it's like. Pah! Which does not happen. So they're (laughs) like, I'm like, that doesn't happen. Sherry, at least it wasn't
2: big, like zonk, bam. No, I know, but like, it
0: doesn't, if you punch someone in the face, it does not make that noise.
2: I do wanna say another homage thing, though, that I picked up on. Several times when Catwoman came on screen, you heard those lingering strings. And it was very much like a throwback to. Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman.
0: Well, I think we could talk about Batman all day, and maybe we will later. But for now, I think we have to take a quick break. And when we return, we are going to answer some of your listener mail.
2: Calling all misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulet Brothers' Dragula Season 4 U.S. Tour will be terrorizing a city near you this spring. Featuring the Boulay brothers and the top four monsters of season four. Tickets and VIP upgrades are available and going fast. So if you'd like the chance to experience the Dragula show live, get your tickets live.com before they're all gone.
0: (laughs) Welcome back, everyone. Ian, are you
1: ready to read us? Some listener questions. I have put the battering right back on these titties, and I'm ready. (laughs) Carla from Wilmington, Delaware writes, I loved your Yellow Jackets review. Oh, Yellow Jackets. again. (laughs) (laughs) don't mind if we do. Yellow Jackets is totally my Girl Scouts thriller fantasy. But here's my issue. Teenage Natalie. Her roots don't grow in over the course of the season. This just really bugged me and took me out of it, and I have a feeling this bugged Drac as well. Can I get a confirmation? I actually did not notice that, but I'm glad that you brought it to my attention because I will add
0: it to my list of complaints.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Austin from Texas writes, I was wondering if you guys have seen the Netflix limited series, Brand New Cherry Flavor from Nick Antosca. And if you have, what did you think of it? I did see it. And this was one of those ones that I didn't think Drac would really be
2: interested in. So I binged it in kind of like a fever dream on a flight. And... I loved it. Like I felt like this was like an ode to West coast witchery in a very strange way. It was kind of like a love letter to Los Angeles. I actually learned a lot and saw a lot about the film industry and just like agents and how twisted and fucked up they can be from watching this. And I'm like, Oh my God, that is so real. But there were tons of body horror in there. There was a lot that I could relate to having lived in Los Angeles for as long as I have. And It was very weird and very
1: cool. Jesse from Cincinnati asks, I'm really into food and was wondering if you have any recommended restaurants in New York City or Los Angeles.
2: I can't say I know enough about New York right now to give recommendations about restaurants.
0: There's one place in New York you might know of. No, no, don't
1: invoke its name, girl.
2: (laughs) Oh, God. Well,
0: we, the one and only oh,
1: Jekyll and Hyde. Oh, God. <laughs> Drax's favorite restaurant. Oh, my God. God. I am really good there. It would be terrible. Oh,
2: no. Okay, look. I'm going to rattle these out quickly. You know, we spend a lot of time on the east side and downtown. Don't tell where we Las-
0: really go. They're going to go there and look for us and see us. Okay. Here are a couple of recommendations.
2: If you're in the arts district downtown, have brunch at Manuela. It's amazing. Guisados, tacos, anywhere in the city. Something classic that's been around Los Angeles forever, and you'll even see some like old Guns N' Roses posters in there from like the 80s, is Cantor's, which is a Jewish delicatessen on Fairfax, like right on the border of West Hollywood. Delicious. And if you want to have dinner, any meal really, at a place that actually has a lot of meaning for the people that create Dragula. Go to Silver Lake and eat at what we lovingly refer to as Grandma's, which is the Astro Diner on Fletcher and Silver Lake. And know that when you sit in that diner, many of the
1: decisions about the show that you love have been made right there. Kelly from North Carolina asks, Okay, thinking about your upcoming tours and was wondering how do you all really feel about interacting with fans at your shows? My fantasy is to dance with you two to the main prom night song with Ian and Jamie Lee Curtis. And yes, I have the song downloaded.
0: (laughs) Well, Kelly, I will say that we love to meet our fans, actually. Meet and greets are great because it's nice to meet people that appreciate your work. And not only that, I just think it means something special to people. It's like a family reunion, right? Like all the freaks Mm -hmm. and all the weirdos in town come together and meet up. It's a total pleasure. But I will say, do not try to dance with me because that is not going to happen in a meet and greet. (laughs) and uh yeah otherwise i'm happy to meet you so listen kelly i'm gonna double
2: down on everything that drax said but whip out your phone play the song do try to dance with me because that is
1: something i will absolutely do but don't touch the hair oh that is real mama also if you can bring jamie lee curtis i will gladly dance with her i don't (laughs) think that's really what you're asking but still mark from portland writes I'm not a drag performer, but I am a huge fan of the art of drag. I would love to help with the production of these shows and tours and be a part of something so magical. How can someone with little experience but huge drive manage to participate in the production?
0: I would say drive is where it starts. There's nowhere that you can go to that'll train you how to be a backstage person at a drag show. (laughs) But that being said, the position is very much needed. There are tons of performers and not a lot of talented, dedicated people backstage. So I think the first thing you can do is maybe go and volunteer at a local drag show and sort of learn how it runs. How do they hand the music to the DJ? How do they prepare the stage? Who does the lights? Learn as much as you can. I actually think also maybe volunteering at a local theater and picking up some tips there and then taking that over to the bar where they do drag and helping them up their show's production would be a good way to go too. And then once you become useful, you can start charging them money for it because they'll need your assistance.
1: Ariel Attack asks... When will Season 5 casting open?
0: We're working on a lot of projects, so we can't
2: really say for sure, but hopefully it will be very soon. That's all the time we have for this episode's questions, but remember, if you have a question for us about our TV show, our music, or any of the topics we've discussed on Creatures of the Night, please email us at creatures at bouletbrothersdragula.com to have your question answered on the air in a future episode.
0: In this episode's movie review, we discussed a fictional film about a leather-clad Batman who struck fear in the hearts of men. But on this evening's haunting of History, we're going to hear the alleged real-life tale of another winged man who brought terror to an entire town. On November 15, 1966, two young couples from point pleasant west virginia reported seeing a large gray man-sized cryptid with 20-foot wings and glowing red eyes the creature was said to be covered in fur and when standing fully erect appeared to be nearly 10 feet tall as the couple's car drove by the site of an abandoned world war ii munitions plant, the creature allegedly emerged and began pursuing the vehicle terrified the driver maneuvered onto the highway, where his car reached a speed of nearly 100 miles an hour, and to his surprise, the creature was still in pursuit. While the vehicle eventually outsped the monster, the passengers were terrified and drove straight to the police station where they filed a report. Over the next few days, several more eyewitnesses came forward who claimed to have seen the beast. Two firefighters in town claimed to have spotted a giant black bird with massive red eyes. And Newell Partridge, a resident of Salem, West Virginia, claimed that he saw strange patterns appearing on his television screen one night, followed by a mysterious sound just outside of his home. Upon inspecting the outside of his house, he too claims to have seen two giant red eyes staring back at him, and he later discovered his pet dog had mysteriously vanished. The sightings continued, and a year and a half later, nearly 100 people had come forward with their own eyewitness reports. The hysteria culminated when the creature was allegedly spotted by several people who claimed the beast was flying above and around the Silver Bridge. The bridge was a massive steel structure that stretched 2,000 feet over the Ohio River and connected the towns of Point Pleasant, West Virginia and Gallipolis, Ohio. Eerily, the bridge collapsed during rush hour traffic on December 15, 1967, resulting in the deaths of 46 people. The disaster, combined with the earlier sightings, quickly caught the attention of national news outlets who started referring to the creature as the Mothman, and a modern-day folk monster was born. Sightings were few and far between after the Silver Bridge disaster. The tragedy had a profound effect on the residents of Point Pleasant, and it was said that even if people did continue to see the Mothman, most felt that any discussion of the beast brought back memories of the sad events that happened on the bridge. The story of the Mothman continued to gain infamy, and eventually a book was written in 1975 called The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. The book was later adapted into a major motion picture starring Richard Gere. The film is currently available to watch on most major streaming platforms and, should you happen to be driving through Point Pleasant, West Virginia, you can also visit the Mothman Museum where hundreds of eyewitness accounts and artifacts related to the sightings have all been gathered neatly in one place. There are many more stories, sightings, and incidents related to the Mothman legend that we've barely scratched the surface here. But if flying men striking fear in the hearts of men is your thing, we encourage you to dig into the legend more fully on your own. After all, there have been recent sightings of a Mothman-type creature in Chicago, Illinois, and you never know where the Mothman might strike next. Thank you all for joining us and we hope to see each of you in person over the next few months at one of our stops for the Boulay Brothers Dragula World Tour. See you next time, uglies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Boulay Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Dread Central production. Hosted by the Boulay Brothers with their co-host and producer, Ian De Vogler, Engineered and mixed by Carlos Bueno with music by Neuron Spectre.